RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Mission Log Live is brought to you by Moss Hero Collector and their collection of exclusive Star Trek visual reference books and other great titles and gifts waiting for you at herocollector.com slash books. Use promo code MISSION10 at checkout 10% off all books and graphic novels. Are you the audience with the required input? If so, then we are full of ecstatic gratitude that you found us. It's Monday night at 7 p.m. It's time to log live. I'm John Champion. And I'm Holly Amos. Tonight on the show, your calls about the 11th episode of Star Trek Discovery Season 3. It's time to meet Sukal. What has he been up to for the last 125 years? And what is his connection to the burn? Join us. Tell us what you think. Click the Zoom meeting link. Use the one tap from your smartphone or just call us at 669-900-6833. Just make sure you enter the meeting code and password. You'll be connected to Earl, who is patiently standing by, and then to us. And we are also patiently standing by. I like the uh, the the, the golf that, that, yes, that was perfect. <laughs> yes, the golf it was all, all those Starfleet personnel. They were just they're doing this like earnest, but it was still like quiet. They weren't. They, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't ecstatic gratitude. You think it was just no, like it was, a polite. It was, it was golf know, clap gratitude. Yeah, golf clap gratitude. But I guess maybe they don't have golf in the 32nd century. Who knows? Um, hey, uh, pleasure to see you tonight, Holly. Pleasure to see Earl tonight, uh, as always. And, you know, if you call in, you'll get to see Earl and talk to him before you talk to us. That's part of the treat of doing this show is that you get to talk to Earl as well. So before you do that, before you say hi to us, let us say hi to you. There are so many people joining us in the chat right now on Facebook. Pleasure to see you all. First and foremost, there's Scott Palm. Pleasure to see you. You, my friend. Uh, oh, oh, we had the vice admiral who's there in the chat. Pleasure to see. You. There's David. I think. Oh, oh, uh, David already calling out that there are two Daves. So thank goodness uh, that there are two Daves <laughs> and at least two Pauls. Hopefully, we have three Pauls. Uh, there's Evelyn. There's Ron. There's Carlos. There's Tate. Uh, there's oh, there's another Paul. Okay. There's Dominic. There's John. Other John, not me. Other John. And, uh, oh, my gosh, so many. Oh, there's Brian and uh, Ryan. There's so many other people. Right off the bat, Ryan, I was actually impressed by Tilly's performance as captain, with the exception of losing Discovery. So there is that. It was like, yay, Tilly. But you ended up in the worst position, uh, the the worst to you on your first command. Sorry about that. Michael saying hello, John and Holly. Brian saying hello. Dave saying uh, we multiply. (laughs) So that's that's the other Dave there. Uh, Just one tape. Yes, you're right. Just one tape. There's Brad. And uh, let's see here. Oh, there's Paul saying hello, John. A pleasure to see all of you. Really excellent to have you joining us tonight as we talk about um, tonight's Star Trek. We're coming up toward the end, Holly. We've only got a couple more episodes, new episodes, then wraps. And I do, I want to sort of tease it out there that we have two, two very interesting interviews coming with some Discovery Insiders. So when we wrap up Bridge of Discovery, the next two episodes of Mission Log Live after that, each one will sort of be part wrap-up and your feedback and your discussion, but also interviews with people who worked on Discovery. 
So I'm very excited about that. I don't Me see too. that there. Yeah, not going to tell you who yet, but you know, you know, Holly, you've seen the calendar, but the other people don't know yet. So we'll we'll, we'll share with you at a later. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about what's up uh, next week on Mission Log Live. So and I, Holly, we are back to discuss Star Trek Discovery Episode 12, The Good of the People. Um, normally, Norman and I would be alternating uh, one episode each, uh, but Norman is moving. He's not just moving. He's moving across country. So uh, good luck to him. Stay safe, Norman, as you drive and move out from uh, L.A. to Florida. So good luck on everything. And then we will see you in a few. Oh, Holly, you're raising your hand. I believe you have a. I yes? have to correct you. I have to correct you. Yes. Oh, they oh re- okay. They, they renamed next week's episode. They it's did? Not called, mm-hmm, it's not called the good of the people. Oh, anymore. my gosh. <laughs> what is it called? <laughs> they did, they, to they be changed, fair, they did that. Wait, with, they, they changed they, the Citadel. They said this. Yeah, they okay, changed. They this week was originally the Citadel. Yeah. So uh, next week it it was originally the good of the people, and now it is there is a tide. See, this is why I can't get my information from IMDb. The, the, <laughs> this is the problem. So, uh, and I, I can understand why they changed the Citadel to Sukal because a Sukal is the star of the episode, and b we all just think about that mall driving between L.A. and uh, and Anaheim. That's yeah, all and you we weren't here when we hear the Citadel. You weren't here last yeah. week, but like the Citadel was like filled with holiday shoppers on Super Saturday, the Saturday before <laughs> Christmas, and oh, so when we no. were on, I was like, oh no. <sighs> Maybe that's why they renamed it to not be associated. Right. Yeah, please, please. (laughs) Well, see, this is good. I I should check those things like right before airtime because apparently they just love to change the names of episodes. So, yeah, join us for that one. Not the good of the people. (laughs) And then I will wrap it up uh, with episode 13. And then we will wrap it up again with our first special. But then Norman will be back and uh, he will be all settled in at that point. And then uh, this Thursday on regular Mission Log, well, sorry to disappoint you in advance. There is no show. We're not releasing a Mission Log episode. Normally, we would not have released one on Christmas Eve day, uh, which was this past Thursday. Uh, But we had to get one out then, so we're going to take this week off. Again, Norman is moving, so uh, we buy ourselves back a week that way, and then we'll be back next week. So uh, everybody, you know, enjoy your New Year's Eve day. Have that cocktail early when you would normally be listening to Mission Log. That's the plan. So be in that. You can text me what you're drinking. How's that? <laughs> so uh, that is what's coming up on Mission Log. And then uh, before we go on with tonight's recap and your calls and your comments, uh, Holly, I would be delighted if you would catch us up on the poll questions. <laughs> Last week we asked, it's very simply, is black licorice good? And uh, 74% of you said no and you're wrong. Uh, <laughs> well, no, I agree. I agree. I'm 136 folks, 74 said no, 26 said yes. I say yes. John says yeah. no. Uh, I say no. I, yeah, uh, I'm perfectly right. fine with being in the majority on that one. Being the iconoclast that I am, I'm okay with being in the majority there. So that's fine. Yeah. It's more black licorice for me. That's fine. If I ever get black licorice, uh, <laughs> I'm thinking of you for send it to you. Yeah. But you can't get like 
bad black licorice because there is like good black licorice comes from like Australia. Which would be all of it. Oh, okay. No, <laughs> that's wrong. Um, this week, who will be the first officer of Discovery in the next episode? <laughs> Which is, <laughs> are we assuming that Tilly is? Tilly's out because she lost the ship. Maybe I don't know. Thirty-seven votes. Well, I mean, uh, so far, yeah, yeah. First time at the con, girl. Aw. Um, Burnham <laughs> has nineteen percent. Tilly still has thirty percent. Owo has fourteen, and Grudge the Cat, Space Cat, has thirty-eight percent. Grudge is going to be the I first. Love it. I love it. Yeah. Hashtag Space I Cat. I love that. I, I hashtag space cat. That is awesome. <laughs> yes. Yes. I kind of, I, th- th- do we still agree that there's something going on with grudge that we just don't know fully What's going on with yet, her paw? There will be some reveal. I mean, yeah. there is, there's no other reason for them to have her there. Like everything that has happened that seemed like an innocuous comment had something to do with something like the song, everything. The cat has something. She's a queen of something. Like, she's got to be. He keeps saying that. And I'm like, no, she's really a queen of something. She's got to be. <laughs> exactly. Well, we only have a couple more What's episodes wrong with her to paw? find out. Hopefully oh, she was favoring her left paw. That's, not a, that's mm-hmm. not a passive comment either. No. Everything yes. is important. <laughs> All right. Well, then in that case, I will let you know how many important things I left out of the recap. I tried to keep it short. Tried. Did tried you? the operative right. phrase there. I tried, but uh, there, there's still a lot of plot to get through. So uh, I will do that. And then we have the good fortune of so many great people lined up to call in, to chat with us, to tell us what they thought. So we're right to your calls right after I just plow through this amazing <laughs> recap. Here we go. Tonight's episode, Sukal. Well, we're picking up, oh, oh, literally right at the end of the previous episode, still saying bye, toasting the late Emperor Giorgio. She's not really dead, but, you know, she's gone. And Adira is saying hello again to Gray, who has kind of decided to just show up again. As Disco gets closer to the nebula, they discover that the Kelpian ship at the center of it has a life sign that's, uh, um, well, unexpected and puts a little more urgency on the mission. That must be the offspring of Dr. Isa. Getting there is a super rough ride, though. The Kelpian ship is crashed on a planet inside the violent nebula, and even Book has trouble going to scout it in his super ship. While he's being treated, he's realized that the planet is just chock full of dilithium that the Kiev was investigating. This is to coordinate all, oh, this is to corroborate all that the data has led to. Now they have a where for the burn. What they need is a why. An away team of Saru, Culber, and Burnham prepare to go to the wreck of the Kelpian ship despite the intense radiation danger, while Tilly will assume the big chair on the Discovery. Things are heating up at the Emerald Chain and Osira, who are taking an offensive posture around Kaminar. That's got Vance sending part of the fleet there to help out if needed. Once these three have beamed to their coordinates, it gets weird. Weird, you say? Yeah, weird, I said. Like, Burnham is a Trill, Colbert is a Bajoran, and Saru is Doug Jones. That's how weird <laughs> it is. 
These three are in very elaborate, spooky, and somewhat failing holodeck simulation that was set up to educate and sustain the Kelpian child. Others died however many years ago. The further they explore, it's like a place where MC Escher and Clive Barr got together and decided to throw a party. But they do spot the life form that they're looking for, an adult, scared, and confused Kelpian. There's also a monster, kind of. It, it, it's not really alive, but it seems to be a creation of the Hollow program based on the mental state of the Kel, which, let's face it, isn't good. He's been isolated here for more than a century, raised by computers. He's meant a child, a scared child who knows nothing about the outside world. Speaking of outside, it's getting nastier for the disco crew who are now visited by. Oh, hello, Osira. Uh, uh, shields up, cloak the thing, power up the weapons, put the good china away. This could get me since Osira definitely wants disco spore drive and definitely wants a planet full of dilithium. On that planet, in the Kelpian shipwreck, Saru and Elber are putting together pieces of the child's upbringing while Burnham tries to fend off the monster. Part of the program, a Kelpian elder reveals to Saru and Culber where the Chatsukal might be and that he has to face his fears before he can be free. The monster is the embodiment of those fears and stays locked where Sukal can't. Burnham, on her own, has some small breakthrough with him, attempting to pass herself off as another holo program there to help him with social interaction. But that falls apart when she asks how to reset the program, scaring him even more. Sukal has escaped to his fortress, a part of the program he goes when he's feeling especially anxious. When Saru and Culber find Burnham, Sukal is building a totem to keep away the monster, but it seems even more emboldened, taunting him by saying, see me. As Sukal feels more threatened, his bond with the beast emits a kind of energy surge off the planet and right onto the Discovery and Osiris that are hovering nearby. Those two were close, locked in a stale Osiris, threatening to take the spore drive and Disco's crew, but this surge destabilized the dilithium in both ships, breaking the cloaks, and without fast action from those crews, would have destroyed both of them. Hmm... With Discovery visible again, Osira ramps up the threats and Tilly just says she'll blow up the ship if it prevents her from taking it. The timing is terrible, though. Just as they try to use the spore drive to jump away, Osira beams over a whole bunch of Orion goons to take Disco by force. Lucky thing Book managed to get away, though, and he's flying fast toward the Dilithium planet to rescue the others. He's got to get them out of there, and they better not let what just happened happen because it will cause another Wait, what? The loner Kelpian somehow caused the burn when he was a child? We don't really know how exactly, but not only does Book save them all from dying of radiation poisoning, one of them needs to stay behind and take care of Sakal so he doesn't do it again. Saru tells Burnham to stay, but she says, no, it has to be him. Saru is the Kelpian. He knows the lullaby to calm Sukal. Has to be him. And, and Culber. Culber's staying too. Can't anyone just take an order? Okay. Book is getting close, and he's ready to beam up Burnham, but he's got a surprise guest on board, Adira. She snuck off of some radiation medicine to buy some time for Saru and Culber, so 
Good job. Back on Disco, those creepy emerald chain goons have put some of their martial device on Stamets, and Osira kicks Tilly out of the captain's chair. As Book and Burnham approach the Discovery, and Osiris' ships disappear in a flash, leaving them with nothing to be continued. I told you there was a lot of plot. This <laughs> great, yeah, I mean, gracious, what, what was it? Uh, excited gratitude, whatever. <laughs> I love yes. it. Yeah, a lot going on there. Um, quick thoughts, Holly. And then, like I said, we have so many great uh, 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 callers lined up here that we want to get to. So what do you think? I mean, seeing Doug Jones out of makeup, I'm mm. so excited. I know that Pretty that's what he's meant for. Right? Like, that's what most of his career has been. That's what he's known for. That's what he's good at. Um, I'm really excited that he has been given, a, even if it's just one or uh, potentially two episodes, because I don't know what happens in the next episode yet. But I'm very excited that he has gotten the opportunity to act out of prosthetics, which is a, just a really weird thing yeah. to be excited about. But, you know, I feel like um, there's the possibility that people have not actually seen what he looks like. And right. them getting the opportunity yeah. to see like the actual face behind all of these wonderful characters that he's created throughout his career is really exciting. I think that um, I want to say that the writers did this on purpose and they probably did. And if they didn't, we'll just give them credit for doing so. The amount of emotion that Doug is able to communicate through his prosthetics is really impressive, mm. but we're able to see that more when he's a human and obviously him going down there and, you know, seeing the elder and seeing another Kelpian, uh, it, his facial expressions and his reactions are so good. Oh yeah. This is, this is a really, yeah, this is a really great Saru episode. Yeah, it, it really is. He, he's marvelous. Now, one of our listeners here in the chat does say, you know, why, why did the hologram need to make him human when obviously Kelpians are kind of a known quantity around there? Like that, that shouldn't have to be a thing. Um, but we do know that that hologram was glitching out all the time. So yeah. they, that, that could have just been a random decision. Um, Someone so. else in the chat is saying that um, he loves that. And I have this in my notes too, that he loves that. Uh, Ryan is saying, I love that he still had um, Saru's mannerisms, even though he was out of makeup. So if, if you notice, Saru, even as a human, he has his arms behind them. Even yes, though he's not in yes, those crazy shoes and doesn't have gate. the crazy feet. Yeah, he's still. And then the right. actor who plays Sue Call does that too when he runs away from Burnham when Burnham is pretending to be the program and scares him because oh, yeah. she's like, restart me or whatever. When he kind of runs away, right. he has his arms behind him too. And I was like, oh, good. I'm so glad that like other people that are playing Kelpians have adopted that. And I mean, obviously at this point, that walk is um, like intensified just because that's what they've decided that's what kelpians do but originally doug was walking like that just to keep his balance on those weird shoes so the fact that it's become like part of the kelpian um persona is i just think it's fun and i'm glad that they're paying that i love it um yeah, I mean, it's sort of like going back to, you know, when Star Trek was brand new and, you, and you've got, you know, Leonard Nimoy coming up mm-hmm. with something like this. For those of you who can't see me, I'm doing the uh, Vulcan hand gesture, you know, um, just coming up with a thing then that becomes part 
of the whole Vulcan culture, the whole yeah. mystique, you know, and now you, you just you, you don't even separate the two. So I do love that. Uh, hey, like I said, we have so many great callers lined up. Let's go ahead and get right to it. Uh, joining us is the Vice Admiral. Welcome. Welcome. How are you? Oh, doing far better than most of the autumn, but I'm not going to go into my issues. How are you two doing? <laughs> okay. I, I Hey, I, I hear you, man. I'm glad to see you for sure. So, I'm glad to be uh, seen. Yeah. Doing well. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, what did you uh, think of this week's episode? Uh, I mean, for the most part, it's a it's a wonderful episode. I loved a lot of it, but I have to say there are some definite concerns. Okay. Talk to us about it. Um, yeah. As we already talked about, why was Saru required not to look like a Kelpian in the presence of a child Kelpian that theoretically would have seen him as a, shall we say, uh, more of a comforting presence? Well, and the reasoning for him going right. down, because keep in mind that, like, usually captains don't go on away missions. Right. Uh, they're not usually part yeah. of the landing party because it's inappropriate. If you ask Deanna Troy, Captain, it is inappropriate. Oh, sure, but he's uh, from a generation <laughs> prior to Kirk, so who knows what the... Fair. Who knows what... Yeah, but, yeah, I mean, yeah. he, part of the reason why he was going down is because he was a Kelpian, and they were exactly. hoping that, like... But the, I feel like the writers yeah. also did that on purpose to complicate it. So... I'm assuming that the program was written in such a way that the child had a significant amount of reverence for the elder and any other Kelpian might Mm. be considered some form of of taking away from that reverence or or, uh, the authoritativeness of that program. Right. I mean, it also gave us an excuse to see Doug Jones out of makeup. Oh, yeah. No, that was excellent. Yeah. (laughs) All around. Well, and, and you know, by by that, yeah, and, and whole kind of uh, theorement here. I mean, uh, Burnham and Culber are both human, and humans are clearly part of the holodeck programming anyway. So there wouldn't be yeah. a real need to change them into a Bajoran and a Trill. Um, right. So I maybe we just say again, we have to chalk it up to a glitch or. I, I don't know. I, I would love to know from a writer why they thought it was necessary in universe to do that. I think Holly, you had the production reason, which is come yeah, on, we I have the real world. We we, so we got to see his face at some point, and he is marvelous. I, I would not have traded that for anything uh, because Agreed. just uh, yeah, to to see him is wonderful, but. I'm a little... Uh, but it's more like sure they the show reasoning. up in the program and the program rolls a percentile die and decides what they're going to be, right? What I think is <laughs> sure, funny right, is that right. their, their clothing change, they walk into like the, the crazy maze situation or whatever we want. I mean, the Citadel, I guess. And uh, <laughs> one of them makes a comment like, oh, oh. the hollow changed our... A Canadian our prison. clothing again. And I was yeah. like, why didn't you, why just the clothing? Why not your species? Because I feel like it could have changed the species as easy oh, as yeah, it changed their true. clothes. Oh, yeah. Good yeah, point. Yeah. And they also, yeah. they, they still have their Starfleet equipment on them. We know that, but they right. can't use it. They can't see it. Mm-hmm. So useful, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. But speaking of Starfleet equipment, didn't Adira build a device way back when they first showed up here to block site to site the, the the current version of of transporters from punching right through discovery shields shields yeah i thought about that too yeah she talked I'm about that when she was that in up. engineering with stamets 
Yeah, because I feel like yeah. a lot of people are going to be asking, like, how did they go through the shields? And the, I mean, the shields were at like something like fifty four percent when they got them back up, and when Osiris' crew came on, which wasn't just Orion's, there were some uh, Andorians in there too. That's oh. true. Um, yeah, but, but they but, had but, their antennas, though. They had their antennas intact, so, so lucky them. <laughs> right. Um, but shields yeah, at I, any level are shields, right? Right. So how did they get through yeah, the shields? Yeah. How, why wasn't anybody able to stop them? I'm guessing for the exact same reason that they were able to find Discovery instantaneously, because somebody on the inside is giving her all the information that she needs to find and disable them. That's why she could beam directly into the cube room. That's why she knew exactly what to disable. She knows enough about oh. that ship. Is right it the now. Andorian? I don't think it's the Andorian. I think it's really. He's else. like the only one from the outside. Who else would it be in the ship? John, can you say wow? I uh, yeah. <gasps> oh 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 man. Oh, <laughs> the vice admiral is dropping. Oh, you uh, think uh, it's conspiracy? Here, this is, ooh, okay. Look, he does seem be, to constantly have issues with things that are not things most people would have issues with. If they he make does. Vance a bad guy, I'm going to be so disappointed because I really love him. I do too, don't get me wrong. He's yeah. been an excellent admiral and I'm, I'm not hoping that he's it, but I don't also, see the, a lot of other characters that we have any history with doing the job. The term badmiral, I've heard the last two episodes and I've literally never heard anybody use that before. John, would you like to explain? Wait, no way. Where did that come from? Yeah, I mean, well, Holly. Oh, my gosh. It, it, uh, all the way back to TOS. Well, I mean, referencing TOS. I've never where heard anytime an admiral or that. a commodore shows up. Really? I or an mean, ambassador. Or an ambassador. Is it? And, or an ambassador, yeah, but it's the trope, you know, the trope that... Uh, I mean, it is it, a trope, you know, I just didn't... Authority. I didn't realize that yeah. we had a term for it and that people had been using it. I've, I've oh, never... It's, as, it's come as up as in Mission as, Log quite a lot. As long as I've been around Star Trek <laughs> oh, yeah. and fans, and I've never heard anybody say that except for the last two episodes of this. <laughs> I do my best not to be Oh, I'm one. thinking we did have a... <laughs> I think we need a t-shirt that says Bad Roll <laughs> on it. I, I think, you know... <laughs> I'll even wear it for a while. Hey, man, uh... I, there you go. I, I I am so intrigued now. I also do not want them to go this direction of having a bad moral answer because he, I think he's cool. And I also, I, I like the idea of not doing a discovery season where there's somebody on the inside that is the problem. However, that is what the discovery's had every season. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I don't want to see them do that again. But what you're proposing here ties up a lot of what up until now could be plot holes. So sadly, I guess we'll find out. I guess we'll find out. Hey, uh, thank you so much. I, I want to get to some of our Oh, yeah, callers, lots of folks but, in the lyrics. Uh, so, but it's good to see you both. Yeah, great Holly, to see you. John, great to see you. I'll see you next week, too. And hey, till next time. Have a happy right, New Year, care. both of you. Take thank care. Thank you. You, you too. too. Cheers. Bye. Uh, now, let's see here, waiting to chat with us. Oh, it's Chris. <laughs> There, all right. So I love this, Chris joining us, not not from a lower deck, but joining us with Chris. So how are you doing tonight, yeah, sir? Doing good. Yeah, this you've seen this, John. Uh, this is my this is my holiday card that I whipped up real quick. It's me in my lower decks uniform. I you may not be able to love see it. Drink it for the background, but it says in a next gen font, "Happy holidays for Menson Bauer and Dog." And there is a little cute dog <laughs> down there. Down there. <laughs> oh my god! Yes. <laughs> oh so yeah, card. That is um, so awesome. Good stuff. Uh, um, yeah. No, I like. I like to. That see, is the best. Like, yeah. Uh, I like to see that 
Burnham is slowly inching her way back into the good graces of Saru and the crew in general that she gets to go on this. And I really like the call she makes at the end because it's, I think you need that sort of dichotomy of like, well, you've already made the decision, Saru, of being the captain and going on the away team, even though the rulebook says don't. And even though you're clearly like emotionally compromised by all of this, but Michael recognizes that you, you have value in this emotional compromise. <laughs> like you are the one who can do this. You know, that's why I like that. She doesn't force him to go back, That she doesn't force him to like give in to playing by the rules. So she's like, no, you should stay because you know, you've come this far, like commit to the bit. You're the one who can do this. I can handle the ship. Me and Tilly can handle the ship. So I like that, you know, we're sort of meshing them back together again. And also, yes, Doug Jones out of makeup. I, I just, <laughs> well, yeah. I, th- there was something about, though, like, I, I understand that we're getting to the place that we need to get for the story to unfold. Um, but there was something about Burnham's kind of like immediate assumption about Saru's abilities and loyalties or, or the payoff of that, you know, Saru telling Burnham behind and then just like, nope, has to be you. Uh, it, it was sort of like cornering him with this idea of him being emotionally invested in this. I, 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 I want to be convinced that that, played out the way it should have, that that played out naturally, because I felt like those moments were sort of shoot in for convenience, for for convenience of just scattering these characters where we want them to be scattered while we let the rest of those play out. Um, I don't, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I totally bought it. I it may, You know, your explanation is probably as good as any that I've heard. Um but I'm I'm still kind of on the fence about that. It seemed strange to me. It didn't seem strange that Burnham would sort of talk out of line because obviously we have seen her do that. And she has a certain relationship with Saru uh, that they have well established throughout. But uh, something did not sit with me um, with, with the way those laid out. But I guess I got two more episodes to deal with it, right? I guess. Hopefully, what if they end? Yeah. What if they end the yeah. series on a cliffhanger? Wouldn't that be awful? <laughs> oh dear! I I don't oh, like. No. Oh, I don't yeah. like when entire seasons end on cliffhangers. Um, yeah, there's always the possibility that. Particularly since we have to wait a long time. Yeah. Well, I mean, remember yeah, we do have like, to wait a long time in between. Season three of TNG ended on a cliffhanger, and I was like, ah, like all that summer, people were freaking out. But I always think of like the the seasons yeah. of shows that have ended on cliffhangers that then got canceled, <laughs> and like you never right. Right. <laughs> just. I'm always just like, please wrap it up. Just wrap it up. I understand what you want to do with yeah. the cliffhanger. Put it at the end of episodes within the same season. Wrap it up. <laughs> right. Um, right. But but this would be an opportunity though, since you've got. You know, they've already started shooting Discovery season four. They had right. started it a while I mean, ago. Yeah. Right. So hopefully it won't be a gap, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, um, Chris, Saru, any other? Saru being emotionally compromised, he's going to be emotionally compromised yeah. no, where, no matter where he is because if they send him back to the ship, he's not only going to be thinking about well, exactly. his child. I mean, yeah, that, remember that, thing, right? But remember that, that Kaminar is also potentially under attack. Because he doesn't know, right. for a long time, he didn't know that, like, Osira was there. 
that she had like come. Yeah. She thinks Osiris still at Kaminar. So if he gets back on Discovery, like either way, he's going to be like, which way do I go? Who do I go save? Like my planet could be potentially. I mean, obviously, if he came back to the ship, you would find out Osiris right there. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. he's he's not having a real good time of it, is he? No, no yeah. I mean, it just besides that, I think sort of Michael's point is not only is you're here and you're useful here, but if mm-hmm. we take you back, all you're going to be doing is thinking about Sukar in this ship and you're not your head's not going to be in the game for whatever is going on back on disco i think is also part of why Mm -hmm. she fights back there is like we need someone who has a sort of clear head and isn't you know having their mind wander i don't think she's like dinging him for it she's like this is the reality of the situation my dude like face it you have you're you're here you're in it but yeah so i think that's also part of her her reasoning there I, I took it as a ding, but I, I will I will believe you. <laughs> so, uh, Chris, I, I do want to move along since we got so many callers tonight. Uh, any final uh, here on this week's episode? I'm curious what you guys think. We can do lightning round. What do we got? What do we think the ghost is going to be? What's that going to resolve into? Oh, the uh, the, the monster uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. chasing down Sukal, like kelp monster. Oh, I, I'm. Yeah, I'm going fully with um, the id monster from Forbidden Planet because I mean that—that's <laughs> to me that's just immediately what I thought of. Like same, same a say where where's Doctor Morbius when you need him? You know that, that, what I happening. thought of when you I know. saw it when it's kind of like I know it's all it's kelp, but it's, it looks kind of melty probably because there's like hollow malfunctions, but. Um, the baddie from Ferngully, which still to this day as a 34-year-old, Ferngully scares the heck out of me because of that <laughs> that bad guy. Like, he gets because all, like, melty, that. and that's then, like, awesome. he's just a skeleton. And the first time that I saw that hollow, I was like, ah, that's a little that's a little bit Ferngully, which scares me. No, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> Chris, do you, do, you have a, do you have a different got theory? Cthulhu vibes for me when I first saw it, which I guess makes mm. sense because it's yeah. underwater. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in universe, my bet is it's the mom that he saw the mom die. Oh, and that he, oh. wow! We just went to a dark he, place. That's like repressed yeah. trauma. And yeah, so he, he, he said he was you what five, four, five when the burn yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah. And so that, that that's my that's my in universe bet. But all of these were good answers. <laughs> do you think wow. that his? Do you think that him his initial yell that caused the burn or whatever it was was when his mom actually died? Yeah, that's what I, yeah. Yeah, that's what you think. Okay, all right. Just clarifying. I mean, that's a nice said. Yeah. Yeah. Lighten it up here and just, I'm going to lighten it up here and and just say that uh, in the chat, Evelyn says, uh, it's Sigmund the sea monster. So I will leave you with that uh, just because it was dark. So there we go. So thank you for that. All right, Chris, take care. Have a wonderful night. We will see you again soon. All right. Yeah. And, um, Take care. Yeah, I, I know that this is a point where we use a little uh, business in the show, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna forge ahead. Let's take in one more call before we talk about the fine people over at Eagle Moss. And let's welcome Paul. Paul one. Paul Prime. Paul Prime. Hello, Joining John. Hello, show. Holly. Can you hear me? Hi. What's up? Yes. How are you? Great. I, I should be the Eagle Moss, Moss commercial because I got a bunch of the books for Christmas, along with this fine Chateau Picard glass. Yeah. This, nice. this is the real stuff. <laughs> yeah. So nice. No water tonight, nice. Holly. Okay, oh, I'm not having water either because I had a no, not. <laughs> I'm drinking a gin and tonic. Thank you. Yes. Cheers. Yes. <laughs> Cheers to that. Okay, uh, so I'll so be real quick. I just, here. I just, I have one 
burning question. I, I want to know, has this been the first Captain on Captain girl fight in, in Star Trek? And if so, I need Holly's, I need Holly's take on this because this was excellent. When those two were on the bridge talking through the thing, I was just like, yeah, I wanted to watch this. My, so, so I feel like, Yes, I don't think we've ever seen like a girl. Um, my first thought, and I put this in my notes because I, I take notes on everything, is just that it feels kind of mean girls. Exactly. Yeah, my thought too. It, it, it's pretty like aggressive. they're just the. It is aggressive, but if you think about it, it's very like cliche girl passive aggressive. Actually, like some of the thi- like the whole Freud thing, I was like genius, but also super passive-aggressive of Tilly to be like, mm, it was so perfect. You're projecting. <laughs> yeah. um, I thought it was, I thought it was great dialogue. Um, an interesting, um, interesting direction for Tilly to go in her first like face-to-face with, with somebody who's like trying to take the ship and potentially kill people and, um, I thought the dialogue was genius, I, but uh, yeah, it felt very mean girls to me. And I was like, I don't know if, I don't know if there's, if everybody's going to appreciate that. It feels a little bit catty. No, I thought it was perfect. I, okay, I, I just thought it was perfect yeah. and your response has been perfect. So John, what, what did you think? Oh, God, I loved it so much. I, I felt like, I mean, yes, it, it, uh, you're saying is absolutely 100% accurate. And I think for all those reasons, I loved it just because I feel like here's Tilly, who we've seen be really awkward in the season. And then, you know, slowly growing into the occasion, growing into what the job demands of her. And then a moment like that, you just go like, oh, she's been walking around with these great comebacks. She's been walking around yeah. with this kind of knowledge to be able to just hold her own in a in a uh, fight of wits. And she is very quick-witted. I feel bad. She's yes. very quick-witted. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I would not, if I, I would, listen, when she's like, you're not really captain material. If that had been me, I would have been like, maybe I'm not. Like... <laughs> <laughs> The fact that Tilly just I, I would like have had, been the same way, honestly. I don't yeah. like I don't like confrontation. Like I, you know, I'm like Rachel on Friends, where she was like, uh, "If I'm crying, it's just because we're having this conversation." <laughs> like I don't like. So I mean, the fact that she actually held her own shows that like she she actually is captain material. Uh, I mean, aside from the fact that yeah. she owns the ship, yeah. never never mind that. A little Sorry, bit. Uh, <laughs> one, quick, one quick last thing. So Carrie. if Georgia was still around, who yeah, would yeah. gang up on who? Would Tilly and Giorgio gang up on Osira or Osira and Giorgio gang up on Tilly? Or I, Anyway, I'll just leave you there. That's- Happy New Year. Go ahead and chat amongst yourselves. You guys have been a oh, savior this it. year. Thanks. Oh, thank thank you. you so much. Karen, have a great night. Um, gosh, that's so funny. I, I think about like... The nice thing about having Emperor George board is, you know, she is good in a fight. She will just sort of like take a stand and she's a bit unpredictable. Uh, but yeah, I feel like she also develops of loyalty, clearly. So yeah. she might even, yeah, team up with Tilly, but wow. But she would also be showing Tilly a two in the process. 
So well, that, I mean, that might be the thing. I definitely it. think that, that Mira Georgiou and that Tilly having had to pretend to be Captain Killy, I think both of those helped with her ability to for those like witty comments. Yeah. Like that was that's oh, those totally. are experiences that like no one else has. Um yeah, those those witty comebacks. Georgia always had those. Like she never struggled with that. So Absolutely. Yeah, she was good at that. <laughs> hey, uh, hold on just a second there, Alan. We want a quick shout out to Eagle Moss and then uh, we will get back to our next callers. But while Eagle Moss Oh, sorry, Eagle Moss listeners? No, Mission Log. You're listening to Mission Log. <laughs> Mission Log listeners are undoubtedly familiar with all the various collections of model starships gleaned from every corner of the Star Trek universe by Eagle Moss Hero Collection. You may not be as familiar with the wide and expanding variety of officially authorized special edition books published by Eagle Moss and available online at the Eagle Moss shop. Now, Holly, you're going to do your thing, and, and I'm getting out the book. He's going to get out the book. Fans who pay a visit to the exclusive Star Trek bookshop at herocollector.com slash books will discover a range of definitive visual guides that go as deep into Star Trek history and canon as any books ever published, each extensively researched and developed by Eagle Moss Hero Collector under the supervision of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson. Books from the Star Trek Shipyard series present a timeline of almost every ship that has ever appeared in the Star Trek TV shows and movies from the original series, Forge to Discovery, and Backwards to Enterprise. Some of these volumes are dedicated exclusively to Starfleet ships, while others focus on ships from other members of the Federation, including the Vulcans, Andorians, Tellarites, and Bajorans. Books in the Designing Starship series boldly go where few have gone before deep behind the scenes into the conception development and detail of ships from every era there are even volumes from the comprehensive official star trek graphic novel collection okay all right so i got out the the book of voyager here which i have thank you eagle moss for sending this because i love it (laughs) and this week what i found this week what i found is a a chapter on holographic medical aids and uh specifically what i love here is you had the build-up of uh, the holographic emitter going from skeleton to a full-on Harry Kim. So if you ever wanted to see Harry Kim from the inside out, and who doesn't, now is your chance that in full color, um, you know, in, in frame you know, freeze frame, not just on the show. So uh, very exciting. Everything you ever wanted to know about holographic medical aids right there and uh, the visible Harry Kim. Kind of made me think of that scene with um, our uh, uh, time soldier, time agent that we got a few episodes ago in Terra Firma 1, where David Cronenberg is explaining what happened. You saw him form from the inside out. That was very cool. The Beatle game. So there is something for every Star Trek fan of every generation. Plus, especially for friends of Mission Log Live, use our code Mission10 at checkout and get 10% all books and graphic novels, not just Star Trek, everything. To browse around the shop, visit herocollector.com slash books. Use our promo code Mission10 at checkout for 10% off your order. Somebody, right. Danny Rodriguez what? in chat is like, Harry Kim never had abs. <laughs> <laughs> somewhere in there, somewhere. They're just, they're, you know how he feels. After all the skin. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Oh, uh, I, I don't think Garrett listens to the show. Uh, hey, let's <laughs> welcome uh, Alan. Hey, Alan. What up? How are you, sir? Hello. Greetings, hey, greetings, programs. 
<laughs> I mean, we are programs. We're all programs right now. We are. Exactly. Are, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, just, yeah. Uh, What's up? Well, I just wanted to uh, join the the chorus of praise for Doug Jones as Saru. Yay, um, first of all, you know, I, mm-hmm. you know it, it is good to see him out of makeup. And uh, if I could sort of take it in a different, a little bit of a different direction... I I kind of hope that maybe this may be kind of the thing that gets him some awards uh, attention because honestly, Doug and Saru are kind of the best thing that I've seen in any Star Trek. I, I don't know what this says about my TV viewing habits. Is my favorite performance of the year. Oh. And, oh. Oh. and you know, I, I get the... I wonder if, you know, there are voters out there who would be like, well, it's good, but it's the makeup or it's, you know, I don't get it because I can't really see his face and what what's going on there. This is him. This is this is him being able to put his, you know, you know, his actual, you know, identity to this yeah. performance. And I, I, yeah. I thought it was great. Yeah. And uh, like I said, hopefully it sort of uh, works its magic in other ways for him too. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see him win some awards for this role. I he's he's doing no a question. Job. Yeah. He's doing he's doing such a good job. Um, I I feel like there there might be people that think that he's not like that maybe he's not as good as an actor as, as he, like he's a great actor, yeah. but I feel like there's a lot of people that might mm-hmm. not be able to see that because again, like you said, like, well, he's always behind some sort of prosthetics and that obviously like that helps with any performance as being in costume, being in makeup, like that all helps. But I, you know, I feel like there might be people that might think that he's not that great of an actor because that's what he's made his career out of, but he's a phenomenal actor. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, in a weird way, it's kind of, you know, the flip side, but also very similar to the the struggle of the, you know, the voice actor who, right. you know, they, mm-hmm. you know, there's sort of like this, this stigma that, oh, it's just funny voices. Um, but no, it's acting, it's real, real performance. And, you know, just like Doug and Ron Perlman and Andy Serkis yeah, yeah. and anybody who mm-hmm. sort of gets sort of, uh, lodged into this sort of, uh, you know, identity of the special effects actor. Right. You know, it's, there's there's right. a, a hell of a lot more to it than than that. You know? I'd like to get, also give a special yeah. shout out to the Jet Reno character. Tig had one line in this. First of all, she's been gone <laughs> for a long time. Last episode, and as like just with her Twizzlers or whatever. This episode, she had one line, and it's, "What do you think I'm doing?" <laughs> when when, when yes. she's asked, like, Stamets is, like, asking her to do something. And I don't even remember what it was because she just stole the whole scene. And he was like, make sure that this is happening. She's like, what do you think I'm doing? I'm like, she has one line. And it's so, it's, like, dripping with sarcasm. It's great. She's fantastic, too. It's, yeah, it's the what, best. what I loved about that is I felt like it was a scene they could have shot at any time. And just said, well, this is an evergreen. <laughs> we could just literally get her on set, film that line, and we could plug it in anywhere, and it'll work. Well, it'll be totally how often appropriate. Do you, 
how often do you think that she has a line that wasn't scripted? Like they could have easily just been like, I she, know, right? needs, she needs to, or maybe they just started writing the way that she acts like, but she easily could have been there and not had a line at all. And just said that. Sure. <laughs> right. Actually yes. amu- like that amuses me. That possibility yeah. amuses me. Totally. It's entirely possible. I mean, and yeah, it's like, you know, Jordan, with Jordy or Scotty, you'd be like, "Oh, I'm I'm giving her all she's got, Captain." And but no, it's like yeah. I'm working on it. <laughs> right, right, right. Hey, Alan, thank you so much. I uh, need to jump yeah. over to another caller, so I uh, really appreciate it. And uh, no we'll worries. see you again soon. Okay, Happy New Year. Have a good one. Take yep, care. Happy New Year. All right, jumping now over to Dave, who has been hanging on patiently. How are you tonight, Dave? So patient. Look <laughs> <laughs> at Dave's in bed. Yeah, you're just chilling. Yeah, if that's, I'm in bed. That's, yeah. That's... The only the only room I get to myself, so the wife and kid are down watching TV. Yeah, I was like, Do you have kids? Are you hiding from them. are you hiding from your children? <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> So what's on your mind tonight other than the peace and quiet that comes from escaping your own family? Uh, talk to us. What's up? I'll, I'll echo the Doug, the Doug claims. Um, he did really well. Um, I again question the whole why <laughs> this holodeck chose to change them, but you know, yeah. whatever. I, yeah. I just have to look yeah. at that one. But uh, yeah, um, it's kind of had a TOS feel a little bit, a kid throwing a temper tantrum caused chaos in the universe very charlie x isn't it sure yeah very charts and and you know this kind of a twilight zone thing too you know a little uh billy mummy uh, banishing people to the cornfield or whatever like yeah i felt like that, that that's a good solid it, i might be giving it short change to say it's a trope but it's like but it's a good solid science fiction idea uh yeah. of just sort of this unrestrained id coming out I'll go back Go back to Bitten Planet there for a moment. Okay. Yeah. Indulge me. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, what else, Dave? I really enjoyed Tilly. Uh, she, I think she did well. She kind of got a bomb deal with her first command. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know <laughs> what she could have done differently, to be honest. Um, I mean, that's fair. But I also, you know what I also think, and I put this in my notes, that I, I the scene that she has with Burnham um, in their quarters before everything happens you know like the quiet before the storm um that whole conversation about like the little thing nub or whatever that was weird to me but mm-hmm. the point <laughs> is seeing somebody who's about to take command for the first time be that like showing that she's nervous like that's not something that we've really seen before um mm-hmm. and then like seeing mm-hmm. the like her sitting down and her experience that like excitement and pride and like everybody else around her is sort of experiencing it with her. I thought that was sort of refreshing and really, really humanizing for her as a character, which I mean, you know, she's, she's already done so much with so many people that have been like, I really relate to that character in terms of her being a little bit socially awkward. And uh, even um, Michelle Yeoh, made a comment on one of the after shows that she was like, I relate most with Tilly. And then, you know, it's Will Wheaton that does the after show and he's like, me too. Like, mm-hmm. so I feel like she's already done so much, <laughs> but to continue that and to show like, 
A, she took she took command, which is holy crap, that's exciting. But B, like seeing her be nervous and then seeing her be excited to actually take command is is yeah. great. And, I mean, and the crew are supportive. Love it. I mean, that, that's a big deal. I, I yeah, know, I mean I the was, crew. The crew not questioning it, I'm sure, helps. I mean, because they were all just excited. Like you see all of the characters like waiting for, like even Book is like, "Yay!" Like so you're gonna sit down in the chair. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm so excited exactly. for her. And then you know, yeah. I don't know what she could have done differently either. I mean, she made really great decisions. You know, scan the area around the ship. Genius. I wouldn't have thought to do that. And that's how they figure out mm-hmm. that it's not. That's you know that it's not actually a Federation ship. Um. Yeah, she did. She did. I, uh, I, I didn't, could be expected in those circumstances. And, and that's something I didn't want to read too much into the preview for next week's episode. Um, but I hope it's not a situation where we're just waiting for a book and Burnham to come say, "I want to see Tilly be awesome and right. not get you know the rug pulled out from under her in her front of command." I, I want to see her resolve that situation. I want to see her take command back. Because it's unfair to put her in the chair and then ten minutes later, boom, you you know have Burnham be the hero face the no win scenario. Yeah, yeah I, I I don't think that would be fair. I, obviously, they're they're going to work as a team, but I don't want it to just be like, oh, Burnham needs to come in and stay because Tilly can't do it. But you, you do know? think? Do you think based on that whole scene of the ship getting taken over and like her being like Osiris being like get out of the chair and her being like you have to kill me first and. That's very Kobayashi Maru. I feel like she passed. Oh yeah, passed that test. Like she was willing to die. Like she was like, "I, you were gonna have to kill me first, and you're not, you're not taking the ship." Didn't she call? She was gonna blow up the ship. She said she was gonna blow up the ship before they would be able to take it over, which obviously didn't happen. But also, when she's being pushed out of the, like literally physically removed from the chair by Osira, before that, she was like, "You're gonna have to kill me first. It's very over my dead body yeah. <laughs> sequence, which I feel it's, like. It's like right, Shaxx. Well. It's like Shaxx from Lower Decks. He's at first sign of trouble. Blow up the ship. <laughs> Inject the warp core. Blow it up. <laughs> so, I mean, hey, he, Dave, thank you so much for. Uh, Jack's go ahead. Too. Go ahead, Jack, Ollie. Jack's passed too because he died. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Dave, thank you so much. Uh, we got a couple more callers tonight who I want to uh, be able to say hello to. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for calling in. We'll see you again soon, right? All right. Very enjoy. Awesome. Enjoy the peace and quiet in your bedroom. <laughs> Cheers, <laughs> man. And uh, popping over now to Casey. Casey, how's it night? Oh, we're on What's up, guys? Yeah, I, I summer. I winter here. It's a little too cold oh, back nice. home. So, yeah, <laughs> they do keep it I, warm. I, I, I did it. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's an honor of us seeing our new, uh, our first Bajoran uh, of this era, which is awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, man. How yeah. are you guys doing tonight? Good. It's uh, yeah, it's raining. It's raining yeah. here in LA. So hallelujah. It's exciting. We got yeah. some rain. That is uh, exciting. <laughs> oh man! Oh, and, and along with it, thunder and and my my lights going on and off three times last night. So yeah, that was great. <laughs> that was, I like the rain, and I didn't exciting. have any problems. So. It's like you're it's like you're in a, a breaking <laughs> down hologram. You know, it is. It's harkening back to the TNG days, which 
just one that won't let you sleep. By yeah. the way, was I the only one, as soon as that uh, hologram lady started glitzing out, uh, was I the only one worried that Badgie was going to show up and just start getting murderous <laughs> with everyone? <laughs> I really That's- wanted that to happen. The crossover we were waiting that for. That would have been great. Yeah. It's, 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 it's all continuity. It all comes together. Uh, and on that note, you know, did, did, the, did the programmable matter, did it change the foot shape of Saru? Because he was saying that he, he, he's not walking normally. He, he's on his ankles. Yeah, he said, um, so, he said that his heel is touching the yeah, ground. Or touching something. the ground. Yeah. His heel, like that he could, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I so, don't know. I don't fully understand the way holograms It's programmable matter, you know? It's, it it's might a, be. It's, it's cool. Yeah. No, it was cool. No, it, it was like an in-joke because uh, <laughs> Doug Jones has to wear those things day in, day out, every uh, every day. What so a chance. It's, it's always nice when they give <laughs> the actors who wear makeup all the time a chance to just be human. Like, yeah. I think Michael Dorn got one of those when, uh, when Paul Servino was on. He got to be his little different alien for a change yep. but um no it, it, it was cool i don't know what's going on with this i, I thought it was like a, a gary mitchell thing going on when uh, the kids started freaking mm. out and like sending out things i'm yeah. like ah, godlike mm-hmm. powers mm-hmm. i don't know and i'm not and i'm not uh, yeah. i'm not i'm not unconvinced that that uh, freaky monster thing isn't really the kid or something you know because that would be a really cool twist or maybe it's like a uh, Logie Kirk and regular Kirk kind of thing. Maybe they're both uh-huh. kid, like, split in the middle, and he has to accept himself for the world. Well, to be right, right. I mean, yeah, you know, the story is, I, I guess, like this is new to Kelpians for us. Like Kelpians have a story, I guess, for their children where you have to face your fears or whatever. So I guess this is his. This is his fear. This monster. Maybe it's better than Flotter. Let me tell you. Oh no, no! You're not going to sell me on Flatter. Flatter, no, no. Happen. I'm like no. Flatter was so bad, wasn't it? It was not good. It was right up there with the little flying head thing, uh, the the Alexander oh, yeah. episode. Uh, the uh, Price of Living. Or yes. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yes. the yeah, yeah, floating yeah. bubble head. Yeah. Not higher the, the fewer. Not yeah. the best. The higher. The higher. The the. <laughs> The fewer, the the greater, or something like that. Yeah. Oh, God. See, the thing that I don't want this episode or, or this arc uh, to feel like it explain everything, uh, because I feel like that's a problem with a lot of science fiction. And, and, you know, to be fair, a good amount of Star Trek is just trying to cram in every in every detail. I do feel like there are definitely missing pieces to what... Um, not just what the monster is, what part of uh, of call this represents, but but actually how that works. Like what what's going on here with the ship being able to send out this, or the planet sending out this burst of energy that caused all this stuff. Like I, I don't. I'm a little torn. I don't want to get into so much minutia, so many yeah. details, and I just feel like they're trying to techno babble it to death. But I do feel like we need to learn a bit more just but to you sort know of how, make the pieces fit somewhat. You know how I kind of saw when they were walking to like the fortress and those like moving weird pieces. Um, first of all, I was like, oh, it's like a video game. 
Um, but then I was also thinking that it's very much like having like that whole atmosphere, probably because it's glitching out partially. I mean, maybe his mom was just weird and mm-hmm. programmed it to be weird. But I also felt like it was very much like being inside a dream where when you have a dream and then like in the dream, things make sense. But then you wake up and you're like, what? And there's absolutely no explanation because it's literally just mm-hmm. your subconscious trying to work things out. And they there's a lot of aspects of this that I feel like, like you said, John, that don't need to be explained if they, if it's just like having like a weird glitchy dream. That's it's just what it like felt the like Royale. It's just like the Royale. Yeah, like stuff that just yeah. doesn't yeah, make yeah, yeah. sense because the atmosphere so. is weird. That's that's yeah. what the answer is. It, the the atmosphere is weird. There were two parts of that sequence that, that I kept trying to sort of keep in my head. And one is that I thought that there was this really really sweet and understandable component to it that this mother is saying and scared for the future of her child and doing everything she can to create a protective and racial environment and hope that he would be able to get out of it, move on with a, a functional life someday, but even those best efforts couldn't be realized perfectly. It's countered with this thing that Star Trek does very often, which even though it takes place in a super advanced future, even though it takes place with technology that we can only dream about, um, Star Trek still has this very sort of interesting relationship with technology where it will only let you go so far until Star Trek will tell you, ooh, but that technology can get out of hand and it will fail you unless you bring in sort of a real or quote-unquote human component to sort of temper uh, uh, technology run wild. And that's what we're seeing here as this holodeck fails, even built with the best intention, even built with this sort of benign purpose. Um, it can get you so far. There have to be, there has to be real people there to, to take care of this, this lost soul, you know, such a tragic figure on this show. So I, I loved seeing that sort of come to life. And I think I speak for us all. We're hoping for good things for Sukal next time. Yeah. Yeah. Poor guy, man. What a a life. Echoes of uh, Kevin Uxbridge, you know? Yes, right, right. Yeah. That kind of creepy vibe if if it did turn out to be his mom, you know, Uh, Mm -hmm. as the monster. Uh, but I don't know. It's that's that is one thing I I sort of lament about this new era. Like I I love a lot of things about this new uh, Trek era, but it's sort of um, by necessity, maybe uh, that we've moved away from having more simple stories, you know, like um, that Mm -hmm. story with Kevin Uxbridge. It was very simple, you know, it was just mysterious thing on this planet. Troy's freaking out because she's got music in her head. That's all you need. Uh, with this, yeah. there's so yeah. much happening. It's it feels almost impossible just to tell a simple story. You're talking about the survivors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. I was. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I'm just talking about new Trek in general. Yeah. Like you could get away with having a, a really simple story in the past, um, right? Yeah, but everything's there's so much happening, and there's like a an impulse to um, never let anyone get bored. Never let which. You know, that's understandable. You don't let your audience board. Well, I mean, I, 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 we have talked about this before is like the attention span of people right now is lower than it was back in the day. And, and storytelling is different because of the way that people are consuming their media now. I mean, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and we're just 
binging stuff, which I mean, people are binging <laughs> before the pandemic, but that's like a thing now. Yeah. Um, you know, they they have to grab they have to grab you somehow, and 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 it's serialized storytelling, and and in that, like, you can't really. They're actually do. I actually think that they're doing a really great job of having a you know, the long-term problem of trying to figure out the burn and all these other things that are running throughout the whole season. But I also think that they're doing a good job of having what we used to call a bottle episodes where it's, you know, kind of a contained a contained sure. story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like people's attention spans are running low. Did, did they resolve <laughs> that whole music? Did they resolve the, the, the whole music. musical thing? You remember... Did they resolve well, that? Did I, I mean, it? the resolve of that was just that it was a, a lullaby that the the Federation distress call was buried in that in that. So why everybody knows it, right. they haven't really solved that. I mean, ah, unless it's the lullaby that the old man uh, Kelpian is singing. Because I was I, trying I to tell if I that was actually, the case, and I yeah, I haven't really put that together. That but if that was the case, then Saru yeah. would have known what it was because he started singing the lullaby. Yeah, that's true. That's when he true. heard that song, he would have uh, been right, like, right, right. oh, that's like a... But but it wasn't even... like We don't even know if it's 100% Kelpian because we saw it on the seed ship too, and they're not Kelpian. Right, right. You know, I don't know where they're going. I don't know where they're going. Yeah. It's exciting. It's visually exciting. But it uh, yeah, I don't know. It's also busy. So it, it kind of <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm, I'm not sold in there. No, I, yeah. I hear it. I, I was feeling that in Picard, just getting story fatigue, where it's like, well, wait, are we taking a diversion to go here, and why are we following this thread? Should we? And then it feels like a rush to get to the end. You do all of that. Which, by so, the way, were those yeah. the flying flowers from Picard in the sky? Were those the flying flowers? You know, I thought that too, we- and I meant to go back and like pause it and look at it because. Uh. The, I, so I, I watch it on Thursday and then I rewatch it before we do the show just so yeah. I can you know, mm-hmm. be fresh. But um, the first time that I saw it, I was like, is that the monster? Like when I rewatched it today and I was like, oh, is that the monster right. up there? But then like, no, they do kind of look like that that creature, the, the flower creatures um, that are out mm. in. Yeah, I I would have to go back and look at it again. But it's the same. I mean, it might just be because it's the same designer, but. Some they kind were, of alien dewdrop. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, they're very similar, though. Yeah. If, if not right. the exact same, they're very similar. Anyways, Rick says Gorgamanders. There you go. All right. That'd be awesome. Take care. Well, Casey. hey, you guys have a great <laughs> one. You guys have a great one. We'll Take see you care, next year. You too. And we'll we will see you. All right. Take care. All man. right. And uh, rounding out the show tonight, thank you so much for everybody who stuck around a few minutes late. Wanted to get in this final call from John Arminio. Welcome to the show. Pleasure to see you. Hi, Mr. Champion. Uh, thanks for hanging around and taking my call. I appreciate it. <laughs> hey, thank you for hanging sure. around. Yeah. What's uh, what's on your mind tonight? Uh, real quick, uh, shout out to Bill Irwin, who played Zucal. Uh, I thought he delivered a great performance yeah. from a really difficult role so people out yes. there might know him from uh legion so just you know one of those great character actors that shows up and kills it in an episode um but also i was thinking about you know helping to ground these episodes and you know maybe stabilize some of the chaotic storytelling something that's been frustrating me about the discovery mm-hmm. is that you know like when burnham was talking to saru about how, how you're gonna be uh, emotionally compromised or when um, Adira is talking to Gray or when Stamets is talking to Adira, it seems like 
these characters are just telling the character they're talking to how they're feeling. Like, you're feeling this. Oh, yes, you're right. Uh, and then they move on to the next uh-huh. scene. So in these emotional conflicts aren't given time to develop or simmer at all. And we just sort of like move on when it seems like this should res- this should kind of build up like narrative and dramatic tension and give us something to hold on to throughout the episode. But we just kind of sort of sort of we just sort of like <laughs> like, OK, well, let's just have like uh, three hours worth of therapy in these three seconds and move on. So we can have the <laughs> right. next scene. I mean, I would hope at some point that these little flashes of, of that sort of thing happening, that it would be revisited at some point. I mean, yeah. I guess we won't we won't know until the end of the season. Like, what didn't, what am I disappointed that didn't really get wrapped up? Or what happened that I really felt like didn't get expanded on or anything like that? Because I always kind of want to give the writers the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. that if something is, something's happening or a part of the story is being told or something, a scene like that happens that, that I don't really feel satisfied with, I'm always just like, well, there's more episodes and maybe we'll, you know, we'll get to see that um, get resolved. Uh, you know, that was not really something that happened in in early track because they were bottle episodes. And so it was like, in, unless you knew it was like a two-part episode and it was going to be like a to-be-continued, it was like, well, that's, I guess that, that, but I mean, you know, the way that these stories are being told, we kind of have to wait until the end of the season to see if something um, gets resolved or not. So, I mean, there, I understand your frustration, a, but I'm also yeah. like, well, maybe uh, wait until the end. Maybe. Well, I, I wonder, I would kind of come at it from a, a slightly different example or different approach to that. Um, John, one of the scenes that out to me in this episode was the uh, the moment that Stamets was begging Colbert to not go on this mm-hmm. mission. Um, we, yes, we've seen their relationship develop over a couple of seasons. And now part of that was interrupt Colbert's death. And then <laughs> sort of the, the weird, yeah. like, are we getting back of Colbert? You know, we've seen a development. We've seen their emotional bond. I really respect the fact that Star Trek is trying to show a functional adult relationship yeah. in the right. context of this world. Star Trek has not done a good job of that in the last yeah. 50 years. Up until, you know, um, However... That scene, I felt like needed a rewrite because to me, it broke the sort of the rule of what you're saying, which is show, don't tell. And that everything would have led up to that, which is they're both same ship for a reason. They're both in their jobs for a reason. They know that these missions are risky no matter what. Granted, Yes, Colbert died. Stamets went through that, and thank goodness we brought him back. But it seemed a little too uh, like like we were hitting that scene with a hammer instead of yeah. just sort of letting the emotions be there and be real. So um, I, I don't want to say it was an, un, an unearned moment because, again, mm-hmm. they have developed over time, but it felt like that needed a rewrite. It needed something to just make it a little more realistic to me instead of insert dramatic moment here. Yeah. You know? It's right. like I they, mean, have, they have the emotional signposts where they should be, but the route to get there is sort of not exactly where 
Exactly. The full on of Stamas basically being like, you can't go is, yeah. yeah, it's it's very like kind of on the nose about what he was feeling where I don't think that even having experienced Colber die, like obviously that's going to affect him. But I, I also yeah. think yeah. that he would be in a position in which, again, he knows that like this is there. These are the risks that they take becoming Starfleet officers. Yeah. And if if his if that emotion could have been communicated a different way rather than just outright being like you can't go, I would have liked yeah. it more too. So. And then it's also strange to have Stamets be so emotionally stunted in his own relationship and then, on the other hand, give advice, relationship advice to Adira, who's in a relationship with a, a ghost resident part that's yeah. kind of inside of so. We don't exactly, we still don't <laughs> exactly know what's what's going on there, like yeah, Gray coming no, back. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so all, all to be resolved next two episodes. I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, hopefully, maybe they'll leave us That's hanging right. on something. I'll be maybe. very disappointed. Hey, um, John, I, I so appreciate you sticking around. I so appreciate our audience sticking around. Uh, any last comment here before we wrap it up and say good night? Um, I'm, I'm good. I'm just so glad to have this discussion. So thank you very much. <laughs> Oh, hey, thank you. You always uh, bring something insightful and interesting to our chats here. My and uh, how about we do it in time, okay? Excellent. So uh, thank you to you. Thank you to Earl. Thank you, Holly. Thank you to everybody who joined us tonight. Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live by the inviolate Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network. If you would like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look, please, at patreon.com slash mission log. Thank you again to everyone who joined or later. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We look forward to talking with you next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com the Roddenberry Podcast Network.